you say one, you can't, 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 can't stop. I know. You have to keep it going. There can't stop going once it starts. It stings. I have a question for you guys. Yes. Mm. Mm. Do any of you have the site yet? Oh, uh, I got the site. Yeah, you got the site? <laughs> Micah, you I got the site? Yes, Kate. It's <laughs> 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 so an astute answer. Uh, welcome to Game of Bones, ladies and gentlemen. We hope that you have the site as well. This is a podcast. It sure welcome. is. It's a podcast where we talk about Game of Thrones after we read about Game of Thrones in the book Game of Thrones. We should probably let you all know that by the site, we mean, have you seen the 10-second teaser trailer for season five because it's here it's on the internet that it is well it's it's uh it's kind of an advertisement for this website right uh, yes and no no and yes the website being www.threeeyedraven.com yeah. so there's a site and then there's a site for the site oh the site now has a site guys it's the site site it is composed of things that we've we've seen uh, prop wise Set-wise, if you've been keeping up with the production uh, and all of the illegal photos people have been taking of the set <laughs> over the past handful of months. But uh, I know a lot of our listeners right now, and including uh, Micah and Kate, that know everything, um, know exactly what that is. And here I am, and <laughs> I'm like, there's a veil of mystery, and it's being shrouded, and uh-huh. I'm not being let inside of it. So are you guys excited? I'm excited. I'm excited. I don't know about Kate. No, she's, she's excited, too. It. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. God, that's this up. actually really ties into um, a tweet or two or three or four uh, that Kate and I had during the week uh, because we're at a point now uh, with the series as a whole where season five, the the book readers are going to get exposed to a lot of things that, quite frankly, they haven't read. And, and I know this is probably a topic for discussion for a whole nother podcast but you know seeing this teaser yes there are things in here obviously that we have read already we know what that door is all about we know where arya is going and we know you know what her story is going to develop into but only so much and mm. it's going to be particularly interesting to see knowing certain characters how far they've developed them through season 4 how much they're going to develop throughout the course of season 5 and that puts book readers in a pretty precarious situation because in the case of Kate, right, you've you've been with this series for a very, very long time. I have. So I'm interested to know how do you feel about this idea of surpassing <laughs> what you've invested a lot of time in? I mean, do you want to see it before you read it? I don't, but yeah. I have to. And like that's, <laughs> that's the only, to, right? that's the only choice we have, right? Like what else, what else are we going to do? We're just going to like sit around for 10 or 15 more years until the book series is over. <laughs> Damn. I don't think so. I remember soapboxing this at the, uh, at the live show yeah. this summer. It makes me sad for you guys. Yeah. Well, we, and Micah, we talked about this, but it, be, it became a little too complicated to, to discuss over Twitter because it, it, although I love being on this podcast, and although I have loved talking about the show, I will be the, f- I like need to confess to you guys that before I started podcasting with you, I hadn't even watched every episode of the show because I knew what happened. And here's the thing, especially season one was the worst. It's gotten better as it's gone on. But because season one was so incredibly faithful, 
it felt like something that I I was watching a show I'd already seen before many, many mm-hmm. times. And so I would just be like, I would come to the end of these episodes and be like, yep, yep, that, that feels exactly the way I remember it. So you felt nothing when Bran fell from that window? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and this is related because it's going to be the inverse when the show surpasses the books. It's going to be me experiencing content that I've never experienced before. And it's going to be in this super condensed way where I know that there's going to be shit that's left out that I'm not reading about. I'm not getting the 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 character perspectives that you get from the chapters, which I really love. I, I, actually, I have always missed that on the show. There's really no way to do that kind of perspective to see the inside of a character's mind and get to know them instead of just seeing this external camera pointing at things and having you infer from those things what these characters are feeling, what these characters are thinking, and how their biases are affecting the telling of the story, which is the most beautiful thing about Game of Thrones, in yep. in my humble opinion. And so the fact that we're going to have to go into a completely stereotypical <laughs> version of Game of Thrones, which is just how every other show gets filmed, which is like outside of the brains of the characters, it kind of depresses me a little bit. Watching the show and knowing what the book had to say about it beforehand is an enriching experience, but we will we will be deprived of that. So those are my those are my complicated feelings mm-hmm. about Game of Thrones. I'm just surprised to hear that because, or not not from you, but I'm surprised to hear that they're dipping into past the books because they have for them to, to have split. Well, right. I guess if they want to keep certain characters' threads going, right? Because they've already dipped in in previous seasons. Because, like, my whole thing is, look, they made book three into two seasons, but books four and five are not meaty enough for them to do a whole season, even one season of the show. I without don't having to well, forge ahead. I don't know about that. It. What's difficult though is that book four overlaps book five, right? Right. So. A Feast for Crows, the storyline is happening concurrently, even with parts of the end of A Storm of Swords, and then with the beginning parts of A Dance with Dragons. And then the story comes back together, and you're at the same point in time later on in A Dance with Dragons. So So there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time. And, And, you know, certainly we've seen with certain casting that's been made. And decisions that have been made from plot standpoints that not everything is being included. Not everyone's storyline is being continued. And there are certain groups of people. There are certain characters that are completely omitted going into this season. And so, you know, I I think that's more of a decision on the part of the showrunners to keep things on track. And they obviously know what's going to be the final outcome. So they need to figure out what is the best way to structure us on that course so that we get there and it has the largest impact. And that may mean leaving out characters that book readers really enjoy reading. And this is where we get into the whole differentiation between the book series and the TV series. And I feel like I'd be somewhat of a hypocrite too if – if I was upset about this idea of the show passing the books because I got into the books from watching the show. So Mm. how can I then circle back and say, well, 
I'm this loyal book reader now. But really, it was the show that, that got me immersed in the series. Mm. There are so many different ways to look at this. The guiding light of my optimism is the excellent work that the cast and crew have done with the series and have done with the storytelling so far. And we have a million different opinions on the matter. That I, I know that we covered pretty egregiously uh, in that Midsummer's Dream episode. Is that what it was called? Something like that? I think so. I think so, but it's going to be exciting. We've never we've never seen this happen before. A story uh, of this scale, uh, of this genre for one, uh, so pervasive in the mainstream with uh, two books left and seasons left to adapt as well. And this is all happening at the same time. So if anything, I'm just excited because what we've seen before – and what we've what we felt before and, and the opinions that we've had before and how we know and want things to play out, that's just what we know and that's what we're comfortable with. But I think that what we're what's about to happen is there's going to be a new standard of how this can be done, uh, put in front of us for the first time and on the grandest scale. So for that just alone, for that attribute, I'm excited. Yeah. But again, I really like the idea, and I said this during the live show, and I, and, I, and I know we put ourselves in an awkward place, Eric, but I really like, especially echoing what Kate said before about being in, in the character's perspective and how rich it is. This this chapter that we're, we're going to be talking about, we're talking about Davos and John today, but Davos's experience in the, in the cell and uh, dealing with the stones that were probably from hell that built his cell, <laughs> and, and just all of, all, of the, all of the things that happened, you know, they can't be put into the show and you would like it too. It's true. And it's just, it's just so different. And again, I'm just, I'm aghast. I don't know what's going to happen. And that is exciting. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too, about both of us being kind of trapped about it, but I, I feel relieved if anything, that we're still going through a storm of swords and haven't had, you know, this knowledge put into us from reading the future books that might end up being changed in the show. Because to me, I think keeping track of what's different, like keeping ahead of what's, different would be a little stranger. I don't know. It's like watching it on the show and then reading the books and seeing, Oh, that's different. It's one thing. But if I had to somehow prefer the book, like from reading the book and then expect something to happen from the book, the way, like the way it did in the book on the show, that would probably bother me. If I read the books and fell in love with a character who, you know, I'd be um, devastated when they don't show up in the show. But if I see the show first and know that, that, that nobody comes in and then there gets, I don't know. It's like, I guess it's basically not growing too attached to a book character that doesn't show up in the show, maybe, but appreciating them for their role in the books, which is the wider world. I feel it now with the stuff that we've read mm -hmm. and the stuff that we know hasn't been adapted from what we've read so far. And I can only imagine what it must be like for all of you listening. I sort of know what it's like for my two friends on the show here that we kind of like share. It's like sympathy pains, uh, with what they have to deal with. But you guys at home that are even crazier diehard fans in a lot of different situations, um, it's a process. It's hard. And that's one of the reasons why I'm glad also, Eric, that we've been able to to dedicate so much time to what we have so far and that we are on Storm of Swords because respect to the source material, this shit demands our attention and there's no need to to rush ahead and try to be symbiotic what, with what the current pop and press is and what the show is covering because there's enough here to last our crescendo into the end of this wave. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I totally agree. And and that's why I love going through this book in particular. Um, I know Kate has said a number of times, it's her favorite. It's definitely my favorite. Uh, though I will say, Eric, I think as we move forward here, you know, we're going to begin to deviate 
from the show. I mean, it's just inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So knowing that you already have the show, though, from seasons three and four, you won't be too disappointed, I hope. But inevitably, there are going to be things that you're going to read that you're going to be like, damn, I wish they put that in the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, that'll be, that'll be, that'll be nice. Like, I'll feel, you know, that love for something that's in the book, but it, it they, it already exists because George R. R. Martin wrote it, you know, so it's like it mm-hmm. exists. I, I think it, it'll be, I'm excited for that stuff, honestly. I just, I would hate for it to be the other way around, I think. Yep. Ah, uh, this is fun. It's just so exciting. There's, a, there's so much more left to love. There's so much to look forward to. You know, it's like we're in the beginning. We're still in the honeymoon phase of a relationship. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's good. I'm excited. Yep. Except don't don't honeymoon on uh, Dragonstone. It's no. Not that Why nice not? a place. <laughs> uh, well, know, I hear the hot springs are great. It's kind of damp, uh-huh. you know, kind of a uh, little bit, little bit damp, lots of rats. It's like the New York City subway <laughs> system. Yes, exactly like the New York City subway. Uh, shall we begin our Davos chapter? We shall. The cell was warmer than any cell had a right to be. I love this opening line. That right would there. be his opening line. Right? I know, right? We talk about how Stannis can like uh, do no wrong in Davos's eyes and how Davos is like, I don't know, he's been imprisoned here and all he can think of, he's in this cell with like only a torchlight and he, nobody's speaking to him. The guards don't speak to him. They just bring him food like twice a day. And he's thinking about how it could be so much worse because his cell is actually, I don't know, kind of warm. He's such an optimist. It was dark, yes. Flickering orange light <laughs> fell through the ancient arms. I'm just going to keep reading and let people have more opinions. It is, uh, I'm assuming on purpose, that it is the light, it is the fire, and Melisandre points this out later, that it's the one thing that, that really keeps sanity for Davos throughout his time here, right? And it's it's no coincidence that that is the, the symbol of Rowler, um, or, or, or whatever <laughs> what? the hell we're calling them these Who days. Who was that? I thought I Roller, looked, I looked Roller, over, over to strike for a second there. I was like, what are you doing? For the <laughs> That's an old joke, I think. At some point, we I liked it. we didn't know really how to pronounce his name. And I Roller? Don't, Roller? Yeah, Roller. we still don't, but uh, Ragu. Rolling like bowling, Micah. Roller. Mm-hmm. Like roller derby. <laughs> but you got you get the point that I was trying to make, that you know, the one thing that he is extremely against at this point, and we know he tries to, or at least had a plan of trying to uh, kill Melisandre, you know, is the one thing that is keeping him alive, really, aside from all the food. But you, you, you get what I'm saying. It's keeping <laughs> his sanity. He's in this dark, dank cell with nothing but rats around him, but yet it's the fire um, that really helps preserve his his mental well being. Very convenient for Melisandre to have all these metaphors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's clearly intentional, is what I wanted to say. It's it's absolutely clearly intentional. She has a line when she does come and visit him. She says, "So you have come to love the fire." It would seem he's just like totally putting words in his mouth. But it is he is relying on this torch for sanity. When she threatens to take it away from him, he gets a little bit desperate. Of course. He doesn't have that much. I mean, he's he's locked away <laughs> uh, in the depths of Dragonstone, and there isn't any light. He doesn't know what day it is. He asks if you know the uh, what the autumn winds are blowing or something related to the <laughs> yeah. sea. Autumn storms, autumn storms are, are, are. Do ships still sail the narrow sea? <laughs> he's very much isolated. He's very much alone, and. 
he only has these two uh, security guards that uh, <laughs> yes. come to uh, visit him every once in a while, and that's how he's able to get a better read on the day and the t- and or at least the the amount of time that's been passing. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good duo. Here's how Davos like keeps saying he names these guards. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know their name. They're not going to tell him that. So he names them based on what they bring him to eat. <laughs> one is porridge, and one is lamprey. For a really particularly rich lamprey pie. Delicious. And porridge Delicious. is cooler than lamprey. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that. Yeah, I love I love that. And I, I kind of feel like it's a little unfair uh, to porridge because we learned that porridge is a little bit nicer. And I feel like if you would have just asked him, like, hey, what's your name? Because I've been calling you porridge for, I think, so much now. <laughs> <laughs> he would have at least gotten a syllable out yeah, of Yeah, you know what? Maybe if Davos told them what he named them, they would be so offended or whatever that they would have to correct him. Also, is it wrong for me to say that after we're done recording tonight, because of revisiting uh, the rich lamprey pie, I'm going to find a way to eat something rich enough to make me... I made homemade chicken pot pie last night. How was it? fucking tremendous it's like the third time i've made it i'm getting really good at it what did you uh I, well this sounds like it's off topic but this this chapter did a really wonderful job of going into the details of some food thank you george r, r. martin um <laughs> because i honestly really really enjoyed he it loves it to was describe like food and he loves to describe clothes and sex and that was in our next sex, chapter yeah. and, and i thought <laughs> the food was more enjoyable personally for me than the sex descriptions <laughs> <laughs> it was like chunks of white fish and his broth, his, broth. his garlic yeah. broth. And I was like, oh, garlic broth. <laughs> chunks of fish. That sounds really, really good right now. Yeah. Because oh, it's cold where I am. You mentioned earlier, Zach, that uh, the stones of hell, it's like uh, dragon stone is said to be built with the stones of hell. It's just Do you think it old... was brimstone on the brim? Because uh, it would been easier to get. It's. I just think it's cool. It's a really cool character. uh piece or character note that this place it actually gets warmer the further down you go like in the dungeons and it's just kind of a cool thing to think about i think what i like about this chapter if i may drag us back on topic is that there's two things that happen to davos of note which is one melisandre comes to visit him we find out that salador san did not sell him out we were talking about this last chapter and i was like there's no way salador san in addition to me having already read this book, I I, I truly believe Salvador Son would not do that. But it turns out Melisandre... You're like, I'm even doubly incredulous. <laughs> Did he? Um, <laughs> he? She saw this whole assassination plot in her in her flames, she says. Whatever. But this, this does serve as additional evidence for Davos that Melisandre has... There's something to this whole Lord of Light thing. She claims that she can see things and... She gives birth to demon babies as we we revisit this. Mm-hmm. She offers to give birth to a demon baby uh, with Davos's life energy. Davos mm. turns it down. Um, so you know he's not he he is not tempted by Melisandre's wiles nearly as much as Stannis's, which I find, I mean, unsurprising. But it's interesting to me that Stannis is tempted in the first place because although Stannis is a very righteous person. And maybe because he's a righteous person, I find it surprising that he would take up with almost like a a bullshit magical entity in order to get him <laughs> what he wants, you know? It seems very unlike something Stannis would do. It would it seems more like Stannis to be like, 
yo, I don't need the Lord of Light. I don't need any gods to interfere because I am righteous. My my position is the correct one. The throne is rightfully mine. And because of the laws of righteousness, I will sit the throne eventually. You know, like I'll just get there. The manis. Yeah. Kind of like a Ned. Yeah. For me, I think that what really upset him, what maybe made him turn to Melisandre in the first place is the fact that Renly just went and skipped out and, and thought that he would be king. And so this betrayal from his younger brother really, I think, threw him off his game to the point where it gives, cause like in comparison, like nobody liked Stannis. Like everybody's, everybody said that at court and joked about it. Like he is unliked. And so he needs this supernatural edge almost to, to have like a fighting chance in the eyes of men. Like righteousness is good, is all good and well. Like line of succession is, is all written down, but you no, know, it's just, it sucks to be Stannis because you've got, I mean, even the Baratheon line in general started with Robert. So it, it's, it, it's easily, it's as easily upturned because it hasn't been this thing that's been going on for centuries. Well, clearly it has something to do with her power over Solis mm-hmm. as much as it is over Stannis. And I know Stannis doesn't really pay much attention to his wife, but I would venture to guess that her inroad was through Solis. And I'm not sure that that's been fully fleshed out to this point. I don't know that it really is moving forward, but I just think that Stannis needed somebody who believed in him too. And this woman definitely does. And that's really all that uh, he was looking for. I mean, right? Everybody was for Renly. Renly, Renly, Renly. And here Mm -hmm. comes this red priestess from the East, right? Who has a deep-seated belief in Stannis and his rightful claim to the throne. On top of the fact that it's not like it was a clear discord over which Baratheon man would be the one to take the crown. I mean, the, the, the incest debacle was being hidden and mm-hmm. he was one of the people that was really raising the red flags in the situation. So you add in all of the variables, you know, take us back a little bit to in the story, uh, her coming around and being the type of person that she is. Like, I'll be honest with you guys. I know this is a book, but she had, she about had me convinced for a minute there. Right. She was going on. <laughs> I was like, you know what? There's something here. Like yeah. Davos might want to listen. Like she's making a lot of sense right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's ice and there's fire. I, I know that we're going to get into it, but yeah. this was this was really really great book stuff right here that I I I enjoyed, and I know that it was it was touched on in a lot of different ways in the show. But I just think George has such a great uh, way of of interjecting these things into like for example, this felt like so much as an Onion Rock chapter, and instead of it focusing on that, because I felt like it was going to be like that for a good while, we were immediately shoved in with Melisandre and she only starts talking about the shallow stuff for a small amount of time. She eventually starts getting to the meat of why she's there. And I just thought, damn, this is great stuff. It is. It is really cool. She says to Davos, like your gods are all wrong. Actually, there are, there are only two gods. There's the Lord of the light. And then the other whose name we do not speak, you know, Kate, you touched on uh, her offer to Davos. Something else to, of note is that Davos wakes up, before she's there, he wakes up and realizes that he's been leeched and he assumes it's the Meister who's like trying to bring his fever down or whatever. Cause Davos was ill recently, but I'm wondering if there's not more to that using, of course, the show 
knowing that Melisandre has something to do with leeches, if there's some kind of, you know, something untoward, or maybe that it was Melisandre and not the Meister, as he suspects, who was leeching him. Hmm. I don't know. Leechgate 2014. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that leeching his blood is enough for Melisandre to do anything. With well, like, do you think she was like maybe testing it? Cause like she comes on to him and there's really no reason for her to do that. Like she offers to make and like a, make a fire child through him. And I think it's because he's a loyal follower. I think, I think there's some value in like some blood value in Davos's loyalty to who she believes to be Raylor reincarnate and his strength of spirit could translate into a powerful being because like ultimately i'm like why are they feeding him so well well because he's davos yeah but i don't think it's stannis who's saying you got to feed him well like he was stannis is pretty much content to let davos rot basically you know just because they've survived on boot leather for so long together so (laughs) well maybe she looked into her fire and saw a greater purpose for davos and so she's trying to make sure he gets better that's what i'm saying i'm saying i'm saying i think she's behind I think she's behind the leeching of, of Davos, and I yeah. think it has something to do with why she's down here offering herself to him. Or she knows that that Stannis, at the end of the day, you know, really loves and respects this guy. And like she did with Solis, you know, maybe her, her capturing of Stannis' mind isn't 100% complete. Uh, he did not take her to the Blackwater. He listened mm. to Davos. Yeah. And maybe she's just trying to close all of those ends and and get davos on her side still because i feel like maybe in her mind and maybe in all of our minds if if davos listens to her spiel about ice and fire and is even remotely convinced and maybe sees the light and starts supporting her of that there's no question that stannis will ever cast her out and throw her up on a stick yeah you're right can we just read this paragraph or this this short couple of sentences when she's talking to davos and this ties into what you all were talking about, that there are two and only two, just two guys. Do you think I crossed half the world to put yet another vain king on yet another empty throne? The war has been waged since time began, and before it is done, all men must choose where they will stand. On one side is Roller, Roller, Ruler. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) On one side is Roller, the Lord of Light, the Heart of Fire, the God of Flame and Shadow. Against him stands the great other whose name may not be spoken, Voldemort, uh, the Lord of Darkness, <laughs> Voldemort, the Don't soul of ice, the God name, of night okay? and terror. Voldemort. Ours is not a choice between Baratheon and Lannister, between Greyjoy and Stark. It is death we choose, or life, darkness, or light. So tell me, Sir Davos Seaworth, and tell me truly, does your heart burn with the shining light of Roller, or is it black and cold and full of worms? Mm, neither. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty May sure I my heart doesn't have worms. It's full of cake porridge. Cake. Yeah, this very point. well. <laughs> <laughs> Give him cake. <laughs> what a, what a question to ask someone, right? Well, I'll have the cake. Very well. <laughs> Melsa, I mean, anyway. she makes she makes a fine point. Is if she's not only is she correct in at least the overall gist of it, we all know that. The Game of Thrones really doesn't matter when you consider what's going on with the others and like the fact that this great supernatural evil is going to be coming down from the north potentially. But she's she's just got a little bit of this like religious veneer over it, so it's easy to dismiss it. 
but she's not wrong, right? Like the right the, the Lord of Light that the others are this this uh, this entity that's could be this uh, soul of ice and the god of night and darkness. That sounds like the others. Like this could and they change babies, right? This this could be the the <laughs> agents of whatever supernatural force because they are not natural. They there is something supernatural going on with them. So why not this unnamed god of darkness? Why yeah. not Voldemort? She <sighs> says he is the Lord's chosen, the warrior of fire. I have seen him leading the fight against the dark. I have seen him in the flames. And we know even as watching the TV show, like in the end, he's up there with the others against the wall. And who better to be the dark than them? Right. You know, maybe she just saw the black water because he, he led a fight in the flames. However prideful he did. Right. Mm-hmm. She She kind of like... The way she's eyeboning Jon Snow at the end of that one episode, like she, <laughs> I feel like her her definition of Azora High is uh, is mutable. <laughs> like, I think she's just like you can be Azora High right now, and then she sees someone like I think he's Azora High. He's about to be. You know what I'm saying? Uh huh. Guys, I I I read this and my mind, I was just at the possibilities. So excited, and and she prefaced it with a really great, just anecdotal bits of of just of of the two sided nature of everything. Which one one is black, the other white. Talking about night and day. And there's ice and there's fire, hate and love, bitter and sweet, male and female, pain mm-hmm. and pleasure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just George has done such a great job of, like I was saying earlier, putting this in the right spot in the book. Just to, it's like things that we were already thinking a character has said out loud, and we don't know if we can trust her, but she's speaking so much truth. And then she says this, and even Davos doesn't immediately shrug it off. So it kind of makes us question it because we've grown to kind of trust his sensibilities. And so I'm thinking, okay, I know of the things from the show and from the book that these entities in the North, this this kind of power, whatever this is, do. And it is not good. I don't think it's good. I, but, I mean, he, Sam was, was was in the middle of things and he's killing people with daggers. And the, the, the list goes on of... I guess I, they haven't had many opportunities. I'll, I'm kind of being unfair. They haven't had many opportunities to be righteous. So maybe, maybe there's still the, the jury's out on them. But I feel like they're they're definitely bad guys. Whereas we see this, and I, I think of of what the fire represents, and I think of Daenerys, and I think of her dragons, and I think of lots of different things that could possibly be be agents of this side that's air quotes good mm-hmm. and then it makes me again think of the entire nature of the story which is there is really no good or bad that there is just this side and, and this side and that makes it even more interesting because we have people that we consider either good or bad and in this case davos is kind of presented with an option to choose a side you know she's asking if he has worms in his guts or <laughs> if he wants to fight on the side that's going to ex- extinguish the ice and it's just there's so many possibilities and it's so interesting it's really well done lore and it's so simple comparatively speaking to like how much george is inspired by tolkien it's so simple yet the way that he's presented it to us and sort of bleeding it out and giving us this information it's still complicated which i I really enjoy i almost thought at that moment she was asking him if he wanted to live or die you know because of the reference to worms heart full of worms yeah Mm-hmm. You know, she she was basically giving him an ultimatum, not necessarily. Hey, do you want me to kill you right now, or are right. you going to, you know, continue to serve 
Stannis, which is essentially serving me, or you can look to betray my trust yet again, and that will result in your death. She also calls this god the Great Other. She says the Other's servants, and the the dudes in the north are the Others, y'all. That's their actual name. It, right. It's weird coming from such a polytheistic. Right. Others take you. Yeah. This polytheistic religion where we're like, okay, there's seven gods, down to just two. And, and like, it's not like I ever thought that one of the seven gods was responsible for the green site, but you do have all these other forces going on in the world that I can't quite narrow down to like two. Because now that there are two in this chapter, that makes me think, okay, so the others are part of, like you said to Kate just then, the other. Like they're part of this black god that she talks about versus the white god of fire who is probably responsible for dragons, like Micah said. But where does the green site come in? Where do the children of the forest pitch their tents? I was thinking of that, Eric. And, and what if it's the, you know, the, the, the just the evolutionary cycle of, of this, we'll, we'll call it a planet. What if it's the, it evolved, this ability or this, this sort of defense mechanism in these people that over thousands of years and thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, this was like the only way that it could be combated, you know, like in intrinsically. And maybe that's why in the East we see so much magic stirring and like the, the shape of fire mages and stuff like maybe on both sides, there's different things that sort of sprouted out naturally from the font of these two great entities. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, don't know. I get confused about like, so this source of this power where Bran is now in the TV series or whatever, and all of the children of the forest, are they are they? Uh, neutral good or neutral or like chaotic or like are they like on the light side or the dark side is what I want to know because they're tied with the north and that's where the others come from but I would just hate to think of these cute children of the forest as being you know the others to control right but the show's established like for example when when the uh, the Stalfos has come at them they have no power here yeah exactly and, and, right and, and they use fire I mean they use fire uh, very specifically it was they put d- in the oh, show oh they do use fire oh thank you for driving oh it's just right. so it's I don't know there's, <laughs> lot, there's lots here people well, they have to be they're good or evil they're exactly, Raylor's men exactly Raylor's children I don't know I don't know Raylor's angels it's uh, and people listening you may be bashing your heads against the wall you may be scratching your heads against the wall I'm not sure I'm in the same I'm in the same boat as you I'd love to say definitively that there are answers to all of these questions but I mean when you're when you're in the midst of a series there's really no way to know everything and even yeah. to the people that are completely sullied there's still two books left and even to the people that are, are research heavy on the matters, uh, there's still two books left. So really, it's it's the jury's out. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying, can we really take Melisandre's like theory of everything to actually be legit? Because it seems to me that there are more than two power sources. I don't know if we can trust her at all, knowing the yeah, kind of person true. that she is. So again, all of this is folly. <laughs> when she offers herself to Davos, she did, this is very interesting. I wanted to bring this up. She describes Davos as a, as being a man whose flames still burn hot and high. Now, I mean, she, I, I assume she's the one responsible for resuscitating him, basically getting him back, back to health. But I, I, this kind of furthers my, my point earlier that she's coming onto him, but I think it has something to do with her plans for making Stannis more powerful. Like, I think she wants to birth another shadow child and have Davos be the, de- the daddy. I, I don't know necessarily what the purpose of that would be at this point. Like, clearly, she wanted it uh, at Storm's End. She wanted it uh, f- for Renly. But what would something like that do right now? I mean, right. is it going to go and kill Joffrey, go and kill Rob? 
go and kill Balin Greyjoy. Balin Greyjoy, yeah, right. Yeah. But one thing that I do think it really does a good job of pointing out is the fact that Stannis is weak. And mm. the weaker that he is, from this standpoint, the easier he can be manipulated. And I think that she begins to gain more and more control over him as we learn from her that he's not as strong as he once was. And he's not as strong as he once was, maybe not necessarily physically, but mentally, um, he's not as capable sound. as he once was. Yeah, or sound, right. And it's because he gave a part of himself to her to be able to birth this creature. It was like right. part of his life force, as she's explaining it to Davos. I think she she uses that term, life force. It's an interesting, you know, sacrifice. But Stannis is weakened, and he needs something to. He needs a remedy. Well, not to mention his his hand has been banished to. The, we I mean, we learn as the chapter yeah. progresses that you know you know if there was any question over over where his mind is at the moment, we have Lord Florent. <laughs> who has been cast into the same cell as Davos. I mean, this was a guy that has never, I don't think he's ever really seen a proper chamber, chamber pot, like at least one without gilded <laughs> ceramic beauty. And Only the finest chamber pots for right? Alistair Florent. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's kind of, I don't know, he's cool. Like he gives Davos company, which Davos has sorely missed. He's talking to him. I'm surprised that they, I mean, don't they have any other dungeons? Like, the, it might also be purposeful that they put him in with Davos. I don't know if it's purposeful. It might be, but this is this is an interesting clash because you see, I think Alistair Florin and Davos could not be more different. They they are <laughs> they come they come from two different worlds, and this is what this is the, the quote from when Alistair is bemoaning the things that he's lost. <laughs> You guys, and says, he says, I must apologize for my appearance, sir. My chests were lost when the Lannisters overran our camp. I escaped with no more than the mail on my back and the rings on my fingers. No doubt some cook's boy or groom is prancing around King's Landing just now in my slashed velvet doublet and jeweled cloak. But war has its horrors, as all men know. No doubt you suffered your own losses. And Davos is like, yeah, my ship. All my men and four of my sons. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Alistair Florent does not even appear to bat an eye. He's like, oh, may the, may the gods see them to their rest or whatever. This, this, may the Lord of yeah, Light, may the Lord of Light <laughs> lead like, them through the darkness to yeah. a better world. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's just like, he is completely disconnected. Yep. And I think it's his, it's his lack of passion and connection that you see all through this whole conversation with Davos is like, he's the King's hand. Yes. But he is not devoted to the King's ideals. Um, he is a man who's much more self-interested Davos. If Stannis told him to take a flying leap off a cliff, Davos would probably do it with eyes wide open without even asking why and do like a front flip yeah like do tricks the whole way down totally yeah. of course and florent is much more like and it's he sums it up really well at the end they're discussing all of like why the stuff about the battle stuff about santa's strategy and why florent is frustrated with him um and what he intended to do which is why he got thrown in prison because he did it without santa's permission 
which was to write to Tywin and ask for them to let up, so like to beg, beg for mercy, basically, which is a very non-Stannis thing to do. And he asks at the end whether Davos is actually willing to die if Stannis says that he should die. And Davos is like, I mean, I don't want to die, but I'm going to do whatever the king tells me to do because he's my king and I believe in him. And the hand of the king at the mention of the like this this devotion from Davos to Stannis, the hand of the king just bursts into tears. He can't handle it. He's like, and it's not like, oh, you've moved me this. It's the fact that he's the this Lord Alistair Florent is surrounded by crazy yep. people. And he's just realizing he's in the middle of the fucking ocean, completely surrounded by crazy people. I feel for that guy to some degree. I, I don't think so I you're would saying be, Davos is a bit crazy too. Uh, absolutely. I think Davos is I mean, Davos is a fantastic character, but his devotion to Stannis is like a zealot level. And so um mm. to to have I I I don't relate to Davos in this situation. I relate much more to Alistair Florent because Look, I love my clothes and my shoes, and I would be really sad if I lost them. Yeah. Also, I would be much more likely to want peace just because I'm I'm not that kind of person. I'm like, well, we have like 16 dudes who are left alive right now. <laughs> As the hand of the king, I'm gonna go ahead and say that we'll we'll just like collect and and uh, cut the losses. Right. But uh, so to have him be like surrounded by Stannis, who is up Melisandre's butt to have Melisandre, who is like way crazy about her crazy gods and burning people at the stake because they disagree with her. And Davos, who's like, well, you know, I don't want to die, but both of those people seem like great leaders to Look, me. I would just be like, warm, damn it. You've cell is got pretty to warm. be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So I understand. I, I feel you. Alistair Florent. Oh, Alistair Florent. Clearly Davos is like on his way out of the dungeons and Alistair is never leaving. He's a modern man. <laughs> yeah, I think that much is pretty clear at the end of this chapter. He's like, Davos is going places, Sir Alistair is only going to get deeper, deeper into imprisonment before they decide to burn him. I kind of like Davos in this, towards the end of the chapter, because in a way he he's kind of egging him on. He's like, yeah, tell me the story. Tell me the story. What What did you do? And Oh yeah, you wanted to marry uh, Shireen to Tommen, and then oh uh, yeah, but you also know that uh, he was born of the same incest that uh, Joffrey was. By the way, okay, go on, keep telling me your story. And so yeah, you you were gonna want to have Shireen kind of held hostage there, so that Stannis would bend his knee and and not continue to uh, try anything in the future against the Lannisters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's such a great idea that you had there, and and you did this all with no permission from Stannis. Oh, that's so brilliant. You know, like, I just, I felt like he was goading him a bit. Mm -hmm. For as much as he has his own blind loyalties, Stannis, I just, this, you could tell that this is not even close, remotely close to anything that Stannis would go for. Mm -hmm. And I don't honestly think he values Shireen enough to even care uh, about her, if this type of situation would even happen. You know, should the Lannisters even get their hands on his daughter? I don't know that Stannis would care enough about her to try and do something about it. I think it would be less about I don't know if it's her. about... Yeah, go on. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. It would be about Stannis's honor. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Shireen's honor, um, but the fact that Shireen is a Baratheon and Stannis is a Baratheon and incest is wrong. Like, that, that's where the, that's where the train <laughs> yeah. goes. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, wow, that statement makes it sound like I was suggesting that Shireen and Stannis would get it on. Just so we're clear, <laughs> I'm referring to the fact that Shireen oh, in okay. Lord Alistair. The Ravens are on. <laughs> they're, they're on their way. Wow. Like, <laughs> but, get those emails. Just to kind of wrap up this chapter, um, I think the one that thing that, um, that George is trying to highlight here is that Stannis will even go against his own family because obviously the Florence are Solis's blood and he is more than willing to throw one of them in jail and it doesn't look good for you know this dude at all like he seems like he he may be going the way of uh Lord Sunglass right uh, he's he's about to get a little bit toastier than the bricks on the wall or the stones on the wall that uh Davos has been uh touching lamenting <laughs> yeah well from uncomfortable hot to almost Dirty hot. unbearable cold, John leaves his secret mission. To, that's not a thing, but he leaves the the cave where Rouge and all of his friends are staying. Rouge <laughs> and goes to find Ghost, which I thought of my dog the entire time I read this. I'm sorry, Aww. I did, and I'm sure you did too, Kate. Aww. No, Frodo is not this kind of dog. I just thought of Strike and nuzzling him like, "Oh, buddy, I would have a lot. I would have a hard time leaving him like this." I left him all weekend. I was really happy to see him. So I feel you right now, John, saying saying hi to Ghost and wishing him a fond farewell as you and your comrades uh, are heading toward the wall. There's no cage. There's no lift system. He's just gonna have to find his own way to Castle Black. He could jump. I think he could jump it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's leveled that high. Direwolves are great jumpers. Not many people know this about direwolves. Most of this chapter is about boning down. This is <laughs> this is the John Bones Down chapter. This is the one we've all been waiting Anybody, for. Anybody, yeah, if, if folks who've read this book before, you'll remember probably how uncomfortable you were <laughs> reading this chapter. Or comfortable. Or I guess comfortable, depending on... Um, I'm not like, I'm not a prude or anything, but I just don't... I don't read fantasy novels for like my for porny shit right like when i was i think when i was like 15 i would have been you read super, porn super for porny shit. exactly <laughs> i would have been i would have been like so excited if i were reading through a book and there was like a whole chapter where it's just like multiple boning downs because i'd be like i don't know what any of this is or any of it means what's this a lord's this whole kiss? other world what is a lord's kiss <laughs> they just do they they go they go hog wild on each other a whole bunch, mm-hmm. basically. Which I think I would have preferred if that was what this these paragraphs said. It's like they just they got they got all naked and they just went to town and then that's it. <laughs> like I'll just like I can figure it out from there, George. Let my mind run with it. Um but this of course I don't I don't think it's that I'm gonna have to disagree. I like I don't think it's that indulgent. I I, I don't think it is. I think he's trying to portray this complex relationship which they have, which is like John is wrestling with his own uh, <laughs> honor, the honor that his father had, and he's wrestling with the raging hormones. And he's wrestling with, with the raging It's a real struggle, Kate, okay? I know. It's, I- it's Listen, you guys, you guys, all three of you had to deal with the boat with boner trouble, and I've never had to deal with boner trouble. Before, you probably had so. to deal with your share of it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Different kinds. So all I'm saying is the struggle is the struggle is real. I think that 
what I like about this chapter, I know for all of its various uh, boning downs is, is how, I don't know. It's like Quidditch and Harry Potter. JK Rowling still managed to make each one different (laughs) Quidditch matches. You know, sometimes they're clothed and under the furs and other times they're in a cave in the darkness. And she's telling him stories about, uh, old people, uh, people from the past who were trapped cannibals. there and are, cannibals, and are now like cannibals. children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think that Egret is probably, she's most likable in this chapter and it's not for what she's doing to John. She's actually allowing herself to be a bit vulnerable, I think. And, and it's not just in, in terms of her not being clothed. Um, but she really opens up to him, uh, emotionally in this chapter. I mean, as evidenced by the end, she basically says that she never wants to leave the cave that they're in and wants to stay down there forever. Like, this is huge. This is actually like, they go from looking at the stars and exchanging like what each of their names for each of the constellations are to doing this all in this chapter. And I think it's actually a really beautiful, like character arc for both of them. I think that she's really sweet personally of course i know that she's a bit just kind of like ha 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 about a lot of things but this is where she's from but what she said at the end of the chapter that was sweet she's a sweet girl she says you know nothing john snow eight <laughs> times oh. eight times you it's counted like every yes every third sentence out of her mouth it's, it's pretty bad you know i hated the show for this this is my like one complaint against the show is I thought they were making it a catchphrase. Well, it is a catchphrase. It's her. It's literally her catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is in the books. Like it's even worse in this chapter and in the books than it was on the show. And so absolutely no, David and Dan, thank you for limiting the number of times when she said that. <laughs> it was annoying in the show, but it's worse in the book. Well, it's probably going to get said a few more times. <laughs> a few give hundred or, give or more take times. A hundred or Bring two. it on. You know, he does add a twist to it, though. For all the times it's stated, there's one time where she says, you know nothing, Jon Snow, but I can show you. Oh, I know. She yeah. makes it a little bit sexy. No. And then show. later on, she, a little she bit sexy. actually confesses that he may know something <laughs> after he... <laughs> <laughs> Well, because he's doing some fun stuff. She's like, hold yeah. on Downstairs. Now. Hold on now. Yeah. <laughs> Lord's kiss. What's that, what's that yeah. all about, buddy? So, of course, this is very significant because this is John losing his virginity and losing his religion um, and losing his his vows to the Night's Watch. And those are all mm-hmm. very traumatic things he's having to deal with. Although the the chapter does a pretty good job of letting you know, like, ah, John is struggling but he's not struggling that much yeah. because <laughs> sex is awesome. Because he's boning down. Because he is boning down. <laughs> so yeah, this this chapter is mostly that. Yeah. They're they're preparing to go over the wall. They're between Stone Door and Grey Guard. Yes, which are are unmanned according to John's last bit of information that he had before he left. Right, and that was one of the three paragraphs that Eric was talking about when we were all texting <laughs> earlier he let us know that if you skip all the sex stuff in the john chapter it's about three mm-hmm. paragraphs long mm-hmm. yeah and it is a pretty yeah. short chapter um anyway and and there is that uh meeting between john and some of the wildlings talking about uh how they are going to advance on the wall and what their plans are i mean i, I John doesn't seem to get too much information. I think that they're doing that on purpose. But, uh, you know, when tomorrow comes, they're going to be looking to scale the wall. And you get John's internal struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's constant throughout the chapter. It's It's that italicized writing, you know, where 
yes, this chapter is about him and you see things through his perspective, but then you get that internal monologue like we've gotten with other characters like Materian. Um, but he really struggles with the vow that he's taken for the Night's Watch and the fact that he is consistently breaking it. You know, Not just by going over with them, having killed Corrin, but it gets deeper for him as he experiences things with Ygritte, he he really beats himself up a lot. He he asks he compares himself to his father. Right. You know, he said was was he as weak as I am when he dishonored himself in my mother's bed? And I don't know that you always see this in somebody who's as young as John to be going through this and, and to, to really be facing this conflict. I respect the discipline. John understands the wildlings ways well enough and apparently has a a deep enough respect for women that not once during this chapter does he ever complain that Ygritte has seduced him unfairly or that because she wasn't a virgin when they had sex that she's a slut like there's no there's no shaming of Ygritte whatsoever and Mm -hmm. that's something that this very easily could have gone into like this this is a this is a misogynist culture that game of thrones presents but also just because that's how guys think you know Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not you three but like some guys would (laughs) he values be nasty about her he values her experience in a way she takes off her clothes and says let me show you how old i am it's not a problem for him like you said it's like a non-issue but do you do you really believe the line where where he says to himself if i refuse her she will know me for a turn cloak i am playing the part the half hand told me to play do you think that's what it is though do you think it's like he's manufacturing a reason to get with her because he needs that extra push i think so well it works yeah it's it's part of that internal struggle that he's having and he's trying to zach's point to convince himself he's saying what he wants to hear so that he's justifying to himself the things that he's been doing and currently doing and are about to do over and over (laughs) to be fair the half hand charged him with a mission and to me the murdering of half hand is more terrible than any sex vow breaking any information sharing that he could do i mean he's a, he's a deep agent right now and he's doing what's mm-hmm. necessary so i i think that all of his reasons are valid i think he's being very hard on hard on himself because he's a good guy and uh i think this is all handled well and for for being mixed with the people that we're mixed with this is a very fuzzily warm chapter. Um, just seeing a true kinship between two people. You know, I just, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it, hearing them laugh and joke and, and he was, he was saying all the things that he loved about her. And it was just, it was nice. It was just, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't shallow and ridiculous. You know, I feel like it has been no, waiting a yeah. long time for some proper attention. And it's good that she got it. Yeah, I like this is a good part where he's just before what Micah, the passage that Micah was reading, um, like the first time he has sex with her, he spends some time afterward just like lecturing himself about what a terrible thing it was that he'd done. Um, and he was like, well, even my dad stumbled once when he forgot his marriage vows and sired a bastard. John's like, it will never happen again. And then the very next paragraph is, it happened twice more that night <laughs> and again in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like his, so ridiculous. You, keep, you, you have to imagine that every single time this happens, he goes through the exact same cycles. Like as soon as, he's, only going to as, soon as it's over, he's like, okay, 
that was, the, but that was the last time. <laughs> and then like half yeah. an hour later, she like wiggles her butt at him and he's like, well, maybe just one more time. There's a, there's a point some, sometime during this chapter when he says like, ah, we've had sex at least 50 times yep. now. So <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like half a hundred He's just times. not even, not even going to get the, also known as 50. Yes. Um, 50 they, bastards. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the fact that it's just like, he's he's been worn down so much by the fact that he he wants to have sex and have feelings for this girl when he knows he shouldn't and it seems like they're growing quite real he's not doing this just for like a cheap lay he actually has a lot of feelings for her i respect it i think she's sweet i think that he's really nice and sweet to her and go for it guys like crawl to your your cavern that's hidden below where everyone else is hanging out and just yeah just you know talk and and have a good time and there's so few consenting adults in this series that's like, true let's just be i don't know if john's an adult technically but it is consent he is now it's, yeah. it's all good <laughs> it's, yep there's yep. some romance and destiny behind it all too because uh regarding these constellations that they talk about in the beginning of the chapter there's this thief and that when the thief is in the moon maid, that was uh, a special time for a man to steal a woman. And that's actually, it turns out that when John and Egret first met, that constellation thing was happening. Oh. And so Egret was kind of expecting, I guess there's this cute moment where she talks about all the different times she brought up uh, these various things to him. And she was expecting him to like go for her, but he didn't. It's kind of a relief to her. And, that that he's you know he's finally doing this with her but i also wanted to bring up we know davos's feelings and stanos's feelings about stanos davos's feelings and we know stanos's feelings about incest but it looks like the wildlings have this too incest is also taboo in the north here's a quote from page 365 uh, a true man steals a woman from afar to strengthen the clan. Women who bed brothers or fathers or clan kin offend the gods and are cursed with weak and sickly children, even monsters. So she's talking about Longspear because John thinks that he maybe was the one who deflowered um, Ygritte, but he's not. And right. she says, you know, he's my brother. And he's like, really? He's your brother? And she's like, no, but we're like from the same village. And so... I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting in like in incest uh, for the Targaryens, um, or sorry for the Lannisters. It makes like crazy. No, you you were right there too. I mean, the, children. The first name that you mentioned. Um, I think it's kind of funny too. If there's the potential that John could be a Targaryen, that she's saying this to him, even though no. John's parents aren't two Targaryens. I still right. Know, I still think it's funny that. You know, she's she's giving her thoughts about incest. Yeah, just knowing that insanity, like incest is tied with theories of insanity in other family lines. Like she's here talking about how you can have like sickly children or even monsters um, through incest. It was really, I don't know, just something that I thought was worth pointing out. It is always said that these wildlings are uncivilized and uncultured, but even they are above incest but we don't see that always being true south of the wall i mean apart from the but thins, what about i I, I truly think that these people are are just as if not more civilized than much of what we've seen south of the wall mm. and if lord florent is you know the best version of a civilized man as you can get that's a complacent self-satisfied self-indulgent non-honorable i just i can't get behind i can't get behind mm -hmm. that 
that attitude in a, in a developing world. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I like the people north of the wall so much because they're, they are the free folk. And, you know, people like Ygritte, we, we have not seen a woman like Ygritte in the story. Um, the closest we, mm-hmm. can, we can say are, are the, the Dannys and the Aryas and the Sansas of the world. But um, she's, she knows who she is and she knows what she wants and, and it's awesome. And she's, she's cool. You know, she stole the heart of the babe of the series, for Christ's sake. Like, think about it. Yeah. Super babe. You know, I wanted to mention uh, Craster gets a shout out in this chapter real quick. Uh, Ygritte mentions that he's cursed. She says he, he his blood is black and he bears a heavy curse. I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. I want to know more about what she knows about Craster's curse from apparently fathering a child of a wildling. It's one of the great things about reading the books, and this ties back into our way earlier discussion where we were talking season five and other seasons, but the fact that you get this interwoven backstory, right? It's it's just maybe a couple sentences, maybe a paragraph on Craster. Um, but also about our good friend Gorn and Gendel, our good friends Gorn and Gendel, I should say. Gorn and Gendel. This is just subplot that otherwise in the show, like maybe every once in a while you get mention of it, you get a good story thrown in there. But let's face it, Bran isn't home anymore getting to hear things from Old Nan. So the chances of that those types of stories coming up anymore are few and far between. And this gives you just some really rich history of things that took place. And I, I wish that I could find those tunnels and, and find those people. They're going to be like the, the, I'm thinking of the, what are they? The, the, the Elder Scrolls universe. The, uh, <laughs> That's the, one. the snow elves. I forget their name, but they they make me think of them. They're just, they've been under here. I was hoping for a fraggle rock reference. They've been underground for so long. So I want to meet those people. Yeah. Basically these uh, two brothers, Gorn and Gendel, made this charge they went under the wall how cool is it that these caves exist by the way they're introduced in this chapter these caves that apparently if you can find the right path can get south of the wall um and gorn and gendel did however they were ambushed gendel retreated but never found his way back um completely to the north and so like their children are cannibals egret is like telling this as she's taking her clothes off um but she tells john that these children uh, of of Gorn or sorry of Gandalf are still down here um, in these cave systems, looking for a way out. And she hints that they're just cannibalistic, you know, surviving off of each other. Basically, it's a cool legend. Do you think that the legend was more interesting because she was telling it when he when she was derobing? Or uh, hard to say. It's actually becomes more terrifying because they're down there. She's like, hey, the, by the way, there's these kids that could come out and eat us at any minute. That kind of like doesn't make me want to have sex. Like not once, but like not five times like they do. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd be a little worried about that. That would spook me. I'm I'm kind of one for scary stories. They spook me out. Well, to test that theory, as we do our owns, I will begin to undress and hope that I'm a little bit more interesting. <laughs> You're just going to make Kate hungrier. <laughs> think about food mm, so, hungry. so owns for davos i gotta give it to melisandre she does give somebody she gives davos something to think about but also she completes this phrase that we know we know the night is dark and full of terrors but she adds in this chapter which i think is the first time she says the night is dark and full of terrors the day bright and beautiful and full of hope mm. That's good. So they left that, that part has out the, of the show, by the way. That part has the counterpart. Well so I'm I'm very excited about the day being bright and beautiful and full of hope. 
I would have to give my own to Porridge and Lamprey for being such <laughs> such gracious food bringers. And I'd also like to give it to um, the food that they brought, of which, uh, for one moment, I will dive into. Oaten Porridge. Mmm. He had um, honey and a bit of milk poured into it. Sometimes he would get plates of meat and mash. Mmm. Fish stew. And of course, like we talked about earlier, the garlic broth with bits of white fish in it. So uh, on to mm. those two men and the food that they brought. Thank you for making me hungrier than I was. I'm super excited that you read that in like <laughs> a slow, dark voice because now I'm extra hungry. Yep. And I think you do that. I, I think you knew that purpose. when you were... <laughs> My mouth is watering. So now it's, I sound. All, I'm gonna sound all spitty. <laughs> Spit it out. What's your own? My own goes to Stannis Baratheon because he threw his hand in the dungeon, <laughs> which I think is like checking off one of his King of Westeros bingo spots. Throwing the hand in the dungeon. Bam. Oh, you, I don't know. All in a day's work. Not too bad. Uh, Not too bad. My own goes to Melisandre uh. as well. When she is talking to Davos about what happened at Storm's End, it's almost like she's a high school girl for a second. She says, is the brave Sir Onion so frightened of a passing shadow? <laughs> Owns for John. I think this is a... This is an easy win here. Are we all going to have like a four-way own again? I don't know if you That's can That's happened say. once Egret? before, right? I'll go into Egret? No. No. <laughs> oh, nobody's going oh. to Egret? Mm. I wanted to give mine to Egret, but then I thought of someone else to give it to. What is it? Uh, Arson Isaacs. What did he do so good? He was digging a tunnel through the wall, and the Brothers of the Night's Watch that, uh, you know, kind of walk along the wall noticed it. Instead of bothering him, they just uh, closed the tunnel entrance, but... Apparently, there's this myth, because this is, you know, centuries ago or some time has passed. There's this myth that if you put your ear to the wall, you can sometimes hear him still chipping away. But the interesting thing came in a revelation. Like, this is why this gives me, like, my own is because this is a guy who's, like, at the wall, so he's up north. If he had died, like, we assume he starved to death quite quickly. Um, if he had died, he would have just reanimated. Because he's up north, so it's quite possible that he's still digging his way out of the wall. And that thought alone is what got me to give him my own. Mm. This thought that this there's a lot of un- the uh, hills have eyes type of shit going on in this chapter. Yeah, I mean, you got Arson Isaacs, who's like still digging. You've got Gendel's children who are still uh, roaming underneath the you know in the caves. I'm gonna give my own to the Night's Watchmen that froze him into that cave. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, and my own goes to the mules of the Night's Watch, yep. who are bred specifically at East Watch and specially Aww. trained for their duty. Right. Is this um? Have we found our third like mascot? We now have too many for mascots the show? already. <laughs> no, Camel stands strong. Yeah, this is the first mention of the mules, though, isn't it? We're gonna have like of a the Noah's Watch, Ark yes. of a sigil one day. It's just gonna be all these beautiful animals. I didn't even remember them <laughs> talking about mules previously. No, not previously. I don't think they ever mentioned them. We we yeah. know that they use mules in the Eerie. Right, exactly. But it sounds like something John's making up because he's like, "I'm gonna tell a donkey lie." 
<laughs> like That's no funny. reason. Yeah, he has lots of details right. to go along with it. He's like, yeah, they're they're sure-footed. They're great on top of the wall. Horses are a little bit, eh. Can't really trust yeah, them. the mules are kind of smelly. My favorite is named Dolores. Yeah. She's an older <laughs> mule. She's got a baby. She's still at, at Castle Black, but... Elijah becomes more and more intricate for no reason. <laughs> they, like, totally believe him, except when he says there's 300 more men than there is. And then they're like, ah, oh, that's a lie. That's bullshit. You don't even like mules. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, those are our owns, ladies and uh, gentlemen. And friends uh, I like. Let's read Twitter owns then, guys. Da 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 Twitter owns. Da da We're going to Twitter. It's Kate sings the tweets. However long it takes her or less. It's going to take a while. From Marco Lorenzo. Marco On Twitter. He says, my own goes to John for giving new meaning to Kissed by Fire. And proving to a grit, he in fact knows a thing or two. Oh. 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 <laughs> Thanks, Marco. Bevan Boychuk, uh, he says, so in love with Egret. Mm. Oh, Bevan. Yeah, I know. Boychuk. Marie tweets in to uh, let us know that uh, we have 11 five-star ratings and five <laughs> reviews on the German iTunes, not one with less than five stars. Danke. Yep. Danke <laughs> it's still the month of November, so. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what that means. Steffers wrote in. Own for John, Egret for pointing out John knows nothing with if you kill a man and never meant to, he's just as dead. That's true. Mm-hmm. Good point. And Steffers says, for Davos, Lord Alistair, for considering the loss of his slash velvet doublet and jeweled cloak <laughs> a horror of war. <laughs> Can I just say that I had to read that twice to see if that was George describing it or if a man was actu- actually called his cloak jeweled in his doublet slash velvet yes. <laughs> what, is he, what, is, yes. what is he a design it's by yes. slashed velvet doublet and my jeweled clothes he always talks about slashed velvet on women's dresses like oh i was blue silk slashed with cream it's like what french mean? sleeves right some fucking french mean sleeves. anything oyston doyle uh who's awesome Anyway, we talk we talk on Twitter. Oyson Doyle says the writers of the show for toning down the amount of times Egret says you know nothing. She says it like twenty times here. Ah! He also says my own for Davos goes to the line where my son's no more than a lesson for a king. Then so sad. Oh. Yeah. Good luck finding his other thing. Oh wait, that was the other part. It's just like whatever. Okay. <laughs> two parts rye on Twitter. <laughs> two parts. Challenge accepted. Goes to Rose Leslie for making you know nothing, Jon Snow. Less annoying to hear than read. So this is a revolution or revelation that it was actually more annoying than the book than it was in the show. Uh, uh, Simon, Simon Amundsen. 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 We talk about this every <laughs> week. Can we say Simon his name right, <laughs> Kate? Do you want to do you want to take this, Simon? Um, um, Amundsen. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> John Snow owns four being the James Bond of Westeros. He has a cool sword, a dire wolf. He bones down, is sent on a solo spy mission. I agree. <laughs> I agree too. Uh, also got an own here from Vlad Tudor who bad. says, uh, for the John chapter, the own goes to him for finally knowing something and giving you grit the Lord's kiss. <laughs> He hashtagged it easy on. Easy on. He's an yeah. old pro, Vlad Tudor. Easy on. He is. Easy And on. for Davos, my own goes to the AA prophecy. Great insurance. <laughs> I like that. Uh, he was limited to 140 <laughs> characters here, True. so he couldn't say his or <laughs> He left out the vowels. Oh, I, I don't think I could spell it if I uh, tried. For tricking Melisandre into thinking Stannis is Azor High, we know who woke dragons from stone. Oh. Uh. Uh. Lady Ash, 
says, Magnar owns John for sending a degenerate man whom John cannot argue <laughs> with and must follow back to the camp. Honor over rudeness. And uh, Lady Ash also says, Davos owned Melisandre and Sir Axel with his true loyalty to his gods and his king. He would die then rather than betray unlike wiser men. Aiden on Twitter says, my owns for the Davos and John chapters go to the weather for always being a pain in the butt. Hashtag didn't have time to read. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the weather. Wow. Had I was wondering what, what, was, what was bad about the weather. Davos is in a cell and John is boning. You know, that was a, a pretty good guess. Well, right? <laughs> 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 These are the only two chapters for which that own probably doesn't apply. Simon Amundsen says, oh, again, thank you. I'll say your name uh, and I won't sing yours. Own to Melisandre for almost converting me to a servant of the light and a follower of Roller. She is intense. And batshit crazy. God, I like the way you yeah, think, pal. Very persuasive. I like the way you think. Thanks for sending in your owns on Twitter. You can continue to do so uh, for our upcoming chapters. Now we head on over to Facebook, uh, Facebook. to see mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of you who have scrawled your owns upon our wall, Facebook. including Jeff Lightfoot, mm. who is a regular contributor to the show. He is a teacher of all things in this world, and he teaches us each and every week with his ownage. And his wisdom. He says, own to both chapters goes to the underground setting. After a few very descriptive above-ground <laughs> chapters, Astapor and the treetop Ewok village, Davos is deep under Dragonstone with only the torch and some silent friends, and John ends up in a cave with a lake that is not described as anything more. Both have big decisions about coming back up to the surface. Oh, God. Davos has to decide if he wants to play a part for Melisandre, and John has to decide if he wants to come back up and play his role for the Night's Watch. Or stay down under and keep going down under. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Jeff Lightfoot you, is so good at owns. Dude, good it's at like he life. teaches or something. It's, he's no, like, it's like an like, art form for him. It's geez. like reading a poem every time. Thank you, Jeff Lightfoot. Jeez. This own is also from Facebook, uh, from Anara Snow, uh, which is her Watchers on the Wall username. She says, "My own for Davos three goes to Jojen and Mira Reed. No, it's not a mistake." I give them my own because their worldview, expressed in the previous chapter, owns Melisandre's worldview from this chapter. Mm. Melisandre has a dualist, uh, Manichian view that the world is in a constant state of war between the opposites, black and white, ice and fire, hate and love, bitter and sweet, male and female, pain and pleasure, evil and good, and that everyone and everything can either be good or evil with nothing in between, but... Mira and Jojen explain to Bran that it's possible to both love and hate the same thing, that opposites can coexist and mix, and that the world is not black and white, which feels much truer of both real life and A Song of Ice and Fire with its morally gray mm-hmm. characters and situations. Quote, if ice can burn, then love and hate can mate. Mountain and marsh, it makes no matter the land is one. Thank you for being mm-hmm. better at speaking than we are, especially me. Yeah. Yeah. That pretty much just owned what I was trying to say before about polytheism. Also, own for John 3 goes to John for spontaneously discovering the Lord's kiss and surprising the far more sexually liberated and experienced wildling girl who somehow hadn't known it existed. I'm not sure which one of those things is less believable. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you, Ivana, slash, uh, nice. a.k.a. Anara Snow. Throughout the past week or so, since our last episode was released, a delicious handful of things have happened. Uh, we did call out Kate Appleby on our last episode. Uh, specifically, Kate did. 
and uh, they have oh, they're a cage. Yes, they have had their oh, it's gonna it's going down right now. They've had their back and <laughs> forths. Uh, I think that Kate Appleby might win though this first round because she visited the actual set and the Game of Thrones location tour in Northern <sighs> Ireland. Uh, took a photo with uh, a a huge placard of Theon standing in front of a, a scene or a location <laughs> in which he saw a scene. Um, Eric fainted uh, out of the gloriousness. <laughs> I did. I still have the I still have the uh, the bruise from fainting. So that was a lot of fun. So thank you, Kate, for being awesome, and You're uh, other Kate for being awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's Kate and who's other Kate now. No one knows. You're your other Kate. <laughs> yeah. Kate Welch's other Kate. Yep. Oh my god! You've been you've been uh, replaced. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of ways uh, that you can get in touch with us. Twitter and Facebook are just uh, two of them. You can also email us contact at gameofowns.com and uh, check us out on Instagram as well. Uh, we do have a Instagram account surprisingly called game of owns mm. <laughs> and uh we post uh some interesting photos there from time to time I, I, you know i actually heard one person um when i was at a social media um presentation no doubt uh refer to them as memes i have friends here that call them memes and i'm like guys don't you internet and they're like what <laughs> i swear <laughs> I, it's adorable. I know. Uh, so we do post uh, some memes. The odd meme. On the good old Instagram and sometimes on Facebook too. And we ask for your uh, comments and captions. And we'll get back to the business of reading those um, on the next episode. <laughs> and finally, you can uh, find us on iTunes as the past two weeks would teach us in Germany in England, and also here in the United States. Uh, and so in the month of November, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. We thank you for going over there, for rating and reviewing us, and uh, we'll share some of those as well uh, on the next episode. As it is the month of November, those of you celebrating Thanksgiving this week, a.k.a. overeating with no regret <laughs> and with very hardened and practiced discipline in some of your cases, uh, we wish you the best. And we wish you to send us photographs of what you're eating and attach uh, George R.R. Martin-esque descriptions alongside them. Pretty please. Yes. I can't remember if we did this last year, but even if we did, let's do it again. Um, I want to ask the listeners, actually, if they could sit down for Thanksgiving dinner with one or two of the Game of Thrones characters, who would they want to do it with? Walter Frey. Walter <laughs> <laughs> well, <you> know, Eric. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Write it into us, Eric. We'll read it next week on the show. <laughs> God. I love that. And uh, there's also Chapter Trace to be looking forward to once the face, so I was going to say Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving festivities mellow out. And uh, that can be found over at patreon.com slash goo, which is looking fairly exciting nowadays. It's looking sexy. It sure is. So much fun. We're having a blast. We've got, I think we've got like two spots left on our uh, on our sexy uh, date night private uh, session mm. with the small council. Mm-hmm. So... Um, give that a look. <laughs> Pretty sexy. Eric's going to go topless for it, right, Eric? Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, Come on, buddy. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Twist my arm. <laughs> on next week's episode, um, we will be talking about Danny and Sansa. Don't everybody get excited all at once, okay? <laughs> yeah. At least it's not Catelyn, Kate. I know. At least it's not Catelyn and Bran. You're off the hook because it's uh, Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. You still got to send in your owns so yep. we can have something to read at the end of the show. So, 
thank you for that. We want to do special Thanksgiving fun stuff, but our show is not going on hiatus for anything. Much to Micah's dismay. <laughs> He's like, Ugh. I don't know what this is going to do for your hunger, Kate, but I posted oh, no. a link in the doc that I think oh. you should see. Oh, great. I have to look no, at thanks. it. I'll have the turkey. Very well. That is the end of the episode. That is. Goodbye. I'm Kate. <laughs> I'm Eric. Yeah. Very well. She was a bit like, I forget what it's called. Uh, it's like when you're not good. Bad. No, when you're like being like, <laughs> when you're being shallow like that someone. I forget. I was just trying to make something intelligent. I need a thesaurus right now. She was being, it's a word. No one here knows it. Never mind. You got it. No, I, I think I know it, but you got to like be a little bit more specific if you can. That means you don't know it. <laughs> Well, like, are you trying to say that she's bad in that she's bullying him, or are you trying you to know, say when you're she... being like uh, coy? Not coy. Coy is a is a synonym. Yes, sassy. Sassy is good. Coy. Yeah, because like five seconds later, she's like, "So you want a bone?" Well, she knows what she wants. <laughs> Flirtatious, <laughs> kittenish, coquettish. She wasn't. She wasn't actually asking him to bone. <laughs> I know, but look, but that's interesting. We're it's tying like she the was two like, chapters together. She's the like, best. I will we can. give you pleasure. That's true. That's true. Sexy redheaded ladies getting it on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, we need the Seymour portion of Jeff. Like you can, first. you can click it. Oh, you can. I, I just did. Holy shit! What magic? Whoa. What magic is this? How do you click it? I didn't intend that. Click. You just click the Seymour, and it lets you see more. Oh, really? Oh, wait. Um, All right, I took a screenshot. Here, just delete that. I'll put the screenshot in. Who's deleting it? <laughs> I'll, I'll delete it. I deleted it. I still see it. Here, I'm putting it in anyway. All right, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we now head on over to Facebook, uh, where we have one of our regular listeners and um teacher of young men and women alike <laughs> alike around the world that guy didn't Jeff like Seymour either <laughs> <laughs> it's at the top of the document it's at the top of the document okay okay, okay we can do this fuck fuck uh-huh. Facebook they're not broken out by chapter huh no no we just got to roll with it. Just going to go crazy with it. Okay. I po- I posted the Facebook owns into the doc. Okay. Uh, I see. Whoa. Hot shit. <laughs>